I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, the man with the name so nice they only named him once, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Ooh, nothing much, Mike. Happy it's a damn Friday. Happy we got to watch a little bit of good football. How you doing? Yeah, no, we, I think we got a lot of good football coming our way this evening or this weekend. I'm saying what we just watched, Mike, yesterday, Thursday night football. We usually come off of ugly night football, and, you know, we got the chance to watch the best team play, and, and I'm, I'm, taking the, I'm taking the leap, Mike. Jalen Hurts, best quarterback in football. I will not join you in making that leap, but I appreciate the energy <laughs> behind that. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in football, and as we often hear, it is an honor just to be nominated. And you're right, mm. coming off a good night of Thursday night football, good weekend of football, especially on the college front to look forward to. We got some people that messed around and found out, and some people that we found out about why they were messing around. We'll explain mm -hmm. here pretty shortly on that front. We've also got, in addition to our picks for the weekend coming up gambling-wise, a new addition, Brandon's Spooky October Underdog Play of the Week is no more. We have left October in the past. We've turned the calendar, and we will let you know what Brandon's got in the kitchen right now here. Something to help everyone out as we get ready for a long, cold, dark November. 
Um, as always, download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a five star rating and a review. And make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. And Brandon, you know what? I'm glad you had the positive spin on Thursday night football. Like we had, and someone pointed this out the World Series game five, which was won by the Houston Astros on mm. at the same time as the Houston Texans playing the Philadelphia Eagles. And while ratings aren't the only thing, it will be a very interesting test of the NFL's might to see what the number looks like for the game against the Houston Texans, one of the worst teams in football against the Eagles on a Thursday night football game, going up against a World Series game involving those same two cities. Ooh, yes. Because one obviously matters a lot more than other, than the other. And, and one's on local television, the other one's on Amazon Prime. I was really interested um, because the Eagles are undefeated right now. 8-0, I believe for the mm-hmm. first time in franchise history. If Philadelphia fans would have, and I'd imagine the answer is a very easy yes, traded an embarrassing loss to the Houston Texans on Thursday night football to win game five of the World Series and have a chance to close things out. This seems like a very easy concession, so I probably would need to find a way to sweeten the deal as I say it out loud now. I mean, I, I can't imagine what Philly fans are feeling right now. They have to be tormented and torn. Well, as someone put, because I asked, we had the conversation yesterday about through this World Series run, if Bryce Harper, if the Phillies were to win the World Series and Bryce Harper would have been the author of a couple of really big moments along this Major League Baseball postseason run, where would he have fallen in the franchise history, or excuse me, not in the, even the franchise history, but in the Philadelphia pantheon of yes. athletes where would he be living in all of this? And I got a lot of really in- interesting answers, not the least of which was, imagine being Bryce Harper. Oh, yeah, here it is. It's from Brian Robinson. Imagine leading your team to a chip with one of the greatest postseasons of all time, and you immediately become compared to Nick Foles. Because that's exactly the like area that I thought he would fall into, is, yeah, you weren't a homegrown talent, and certainly for Bryce Harper, was a much bigger and more important acquisition for his city's team than was Nick Foles. But Nick Foles authored one of the most magical postseason runs that really was a part of cracking the foundation under Carson Wentz's feet. Because remember, that 2017 season, Carson Wentz was MVP Carson Wentz during the regular season before his leg injury. And then after that, nothing was ever the same because that city was so addicted to Big Dick Nick that they couldn't possibly go back. And so that's why he gets this outsized bit of importance in the conversation i i hear you mike but i feel like i would give it to doug peterson more than i would give it to nick Foles. like i understand that nick Foles was the quarterback and he made the plays but Legarrette blunt and doug peterson in the philly special i i is doug peterson in all that credit to nick Foles. is doug peterson in the philly special statue that's the biggest question because they obviously is, commissioned right? a statue of that play. I think I think he's he is he has a statue outside the stadium. That's why I feel like he's compared oh, yeah, to Oh yeah, it is. It is. It's it is Doug Peterson talking to Nick Foles on the sideline in that infamous <laughs> conversation. So yes, definite 1A and 1B. But you know how it is, man, like once it becomes big dick Nick and all this conversation, yeah. he takes a you know, it's always going to be more of a player's thing than a coach's thing. So I just thought that was interesting because that is the run Bryce Harper's been on. He's a much more important overall, like was a more important acquisition, but Nick Foles was the quarterback during that postseason run and so he's going to get a lot of love for the way that that went either way 
We'll get to the Phillies more in a little bit because we had Hoagie Gate going on during the Game 4 of the World Series. Brandon, for the Eagles on Thursday night, 29-17. So, like, it's the NFL. You don't see, especially on a short week, many blowouts the way that we do in college. Even as bad as Houston's been so far this season, 1-6-1 and now to the Eagles 8-0, they're still an NFL team. They're still NFL-talented players on that team. And so, especially with the short week to prepare, it was never going to get too out of hand. But I think the one biggest takeaway from this, because Jalen Hurts still went out there and for the most part played really clean football. Houston scored first, and the Eagles responded with an 18-play drive. And it wasn't one of those choppy 18-play drives where it was like marked back by a bunch of penalties. It was just slow, methodical, a, a march toward the demise of Houston where you saw how in control Philadelphia was. Mike, not only was it an 18-play drive, it was the Philadelphia Eagles' first drive as the Houston Texans scored on their first drive. Like, I I think there's something to be said that the Eagles are so good, they can figure it out and, and still move down the field. And that's been the strength of the Eagles so far this year, right? They figure it out. They appear to adapt and mold to whatever the situation that is presented to them. And I thought it was really interesting going into this game because this game ended up playing out. It was tied. It was, uh, I believe, tied at halftime. And yeah, the game was tied 14 all at halftime. And then coming out in the second half, you started to see, all right, some of the turnovers, Davis Mills threw two interceptions in this game. CJ uh, Gardner Johnson leading the NFL with five interceptions on the year. He that man. He is that man, and you heard uh, somebody run behind him in the postgame interview saying, pay that man, so we're already getting on that watch. (laughs) But Eagles defense took the ball away from a young quarterback who's on a team that doesn't have a ton of weapons outside of their running back who we'll get to. And for the Eagles offense, methodical, you did have the one fumble after Jalen Hurts was stripped in the pocket that gave the Texans a short field where I believe the Eagles defense was able to hold them. The Texans offense struggled but for one area. And I want to credit Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, on NFL Live who said as you look at this Eagles team there's really one area that's probably been the only thing you could say was a cause for concern and that was yards after contact in the run game and boy oh boy did you see that show up because Damian Pierce again my pick for midseason offensive rookie of the year went the fuck off 27 for a buck 39 in this game the Eagles gave up over five yards a carry to Houston Laramie Tunsil and that offensive line were physical, and you saw during the game the thing that Philly fans will point back to because Jordan Davis was trending during most of that Eagles game, their pick out of Georgia, the man in the middle who's dealing with an injury right now will be back this season, supposedly. But, Brandon, you've clearly seen it. People early in the season were doing what's really hard to do in the NFL, which is run splits with and without one player on the field because football is a lot harder than doing plus-minus with five guys on a basketball court. But people have been obsessed with Jordan Davis's effect on this rush defense and looking at last night when everyone knew that was going to be the Texans' approach and they were still able to be that successful. That's the one thing where Damian Pierce is a great back. The Texans offensive line played well, but we still look at this Eagles team and this Eagles defense that still has guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and company up front and say it shouldn't look that bad. And so Jordan Davis will go a long way in helping when he's back, but that's the one thing that might give Eagles fans a brief second of pause coming out an otherwise pretty clean game for them. Yeah, I think Lovey Smith gave them a, a good test on defense. Like, this is the first time that the Eagles went into halftime without a lead. 
and uh, at, at the halftime, Nick Sirianni said he was telling everyone to embrace this and they'll be better from uh, embracing this this uh, adversity that they face. But I, I like the way the, the Texans play defense, Mike. We, the we Texans defense, too, for, for the most part. Like, you looked last night, two sacks for Jerry Hughes in that game. Really, yeah. really, like... Stud performance there. He's a guy, certainly a veteran in this league and been around for a while. But you looked on the back end, like we talked the other day about their secondary and what we've seen from Derek Stingley Jr. But Jalen Petrie, who was another highly rated pick out of uh, out of Baylor, the two of them almost combined for a pick that they missed in that game that could have been huge off a tipped ball. They've got a bunch of young guys in spots that can excite you between those guys in the back end there, running back we talked about in Damian Pierce, but what comes with a young team and a new head coach is these kind of growing pains that lead you to losing to what's right now. Spoiler alert in my top five, because Buffalo fucked around and messed up my cover last week, the number one team in football. Ooh, okay. Now we're both on the train. We're both well, I don't know. Well, no, no. Yeah, you're on the Jalen Hurts' number one quarterback in the NFL train. Bridge too far for me, but I will say right now the Eagles the best team in football, even though Buffalo's probably gonna be in that spot again next week. Okay, thank you. It's a one week punishment. Um yeah, one one, okay, one-week punishment. I, I don't know, Mike. I, I feel like they're there. Uh, but j- just to, so I can wrap up what the Houston Texans are doing, I would immediately when Lovey Smith was hired, everyone thought it was a safe face hire the same way that they uh, – the, the hire the year before. Was the Texans head coach? Uh, was the Texans coach? Oh, David Culley. David Culley, yes, that same same type of energy, Mike. But there's something about Levy, maybe because he's been there before and he's coached in the Super Bowl. But I, I I believe in the Texans, especially with all those draft picks to come. And I know that we're in the F them draft picks era, so maybe they can use those for weapons as well. But like they have too many assets over there for the Houston Texans and, and a, a decent foundation for me to not pay attention to them going forward. The quiet part that I think is the most hopeful for the Texans is that, and this happened without tons of fanfare. Now, I don't consume as much national TV as I used to, and so forgive me if I missed this leading first take one day, but usually I can see those things pop up. They fired Jack Easterby a couple yes, weeks ago. Yes, like that did. That happened. Jack Easterby, who had been you know, a, a shadow figure in the front office coming over from the Patriots, uh, someone who rose up from essentially being a team chaplain to being the VP of football operations and was sowing all these seeds of discord inside the organization, seemed like a very right. toxic presence, got fired with really out much fanfare. And for what a tire fire that organization had been between the Deshaun Watson stuff and Jack Easterby's presence, for both of those to now be gone and to your point Brandon the most draft picks in the draft next year including two first rounders I think 10 or 12 draft picks in the following year including two first rounders F them picks works if you're close having these Mm -hmm. picks works if you've got a lot of things that need to change on your roster and the Texans still have a bunch of things they need to change I mean we haven't even gotten to disgruntled Brandon Cooks coming off the NFL trade deadline oh my gosh yes so yeah you're right sitting out 
you're right to look at the Texas future. So yeah, Brandon Cook sat out this last week of practice. And this is, I think, as much the team because when you're getting ready to try and shop someone, you don't want them getting injured in practice. And so you'll hold him out leading up to the trade deadline. But Brandon Cooks on November 1st tweeted, don't take a man's kindness for granted. Covered for lies too long. Those days are done. Cross the line with playing with my career. And his thing has always been the archer. So he's got the little bow and arrow thing after it. Which is a reminder of one of the truest tweets of all time from Denny Carter. The typical quarterback tweet is, love my teammates. God is good. The typical running back tweet, keep grinding. Tight end tweet, derp. Wide receiver tweet, the enemy speaks kindly and holds a knife. Like, they're always (laughs) so cryptic, Brandon. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I don't know what it is about. Obviously, all football players, I don't know, you included, Mike. I feel like we have this, like, this jock mentality, this thing that we, this uh, scarlet letter that we walk around with, and we we want to prove to people how intelligent we were. So we'll throw out a big word or two. But what is it about those wide receivers and the DBs that literally think they're they're uh, uh, I can't say the word right, but Aristotle philosophers. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, no, Brandon, I think it is by nature of being the positions that have to talk the most. Like having outsized confidence Mm. at wide receiver and defensive back is something that can legitimately elevate you beyond your physical skills. If you're someone that goes out there with that unwavering belief, you got to talk a lot of shit to exist on the perimeter. And when you talk a lot of shit, that means you just talk a lot in general. When you talk a lot in general, you're probably thinking of yourself as someone who's pretty good at talking in general, and thus Aristotle (laughs) on the microphone when it comes to Twitter. Because most offensive line rooms, you're getting fined if you're talking to the media. And I can't imagine what an offensive line room would do to you if you tweeted out what Brandon Cooks tweeted out as an offensive lineman. The kangaroo courts in those rooms tend to rise up and tend to take some money out of your pocket pretty quickly. Hey, and meanwhile, uh, Brandon Cooks is going to get welcomed in the wide receiver rooms like, hey, bro, spit the truth, bro. You you got to make sure they stay woke. Man, they need to stop playing with you. Hey, they boy. need to stop playing with hey, you. I'm with you. I couldn't retweet it. You know, I couldn't retweet it because my contract. But yeah, I don't got it. I don't got it like you, man. Like yo, I'm still waiting on the bag. But in the meantime, just know, like I meant to text you, but I was on a plane and I could. I didn't buy Wi-Fi, and so I didn't have service. But you know, I rock with you. So, yeah, that's what the Texans have been dealing with. So, uh, again, the future is the long term for them. They have carved out some of the worst parts of what had been plaguing that organization. And in the meantime, the Eagles went out there and managed to weather that first half storm and get a win. So that portion of Philadelphia doing decently okay. Now, Brandon, speaking of people who have said things, assuming they were more articulate than they are. No, articulate's not the word. Who felt themselves to be more philosophical and deeper in thought than they actually are. Um, we had a case yesterday of two very interesting things that happened because the praise fuck around and find out is pretty popular right now. Yes, as it far is. as yes, it is. And we had, I think, someone who fucked around and found out in Kyrie Irving who has been suspended five games by the Brooklyn Nets for the reposting of a documentary and a book containing deeply anti-Semitic thoughts and um, images and we had on the other side someone we found out how they were fucking around in Daniel Snyder and him 
acquiring Bank of America, him and his wife, to explore a potential sale of their team or potential transaction around their team. And so, Brandon, which one of these do you want to get to first here? The one who fucked around and found out or what we found out about the fucking around? And I apologize for all the F words. I This is a little more than usual. Sorry, kids. Uh, I want to hear first about the... The guy was fucking around. All right, so Kyrie Irving. So no, is that is that it? Yeah, that was how it was phrased. It was it was a poorly worded prompt by me. Let's talk about oh, Kyrie okay, Irving. I thought, the, I thought the person they found out would be Kyrie because he got punished, and the one who was fucking around was Daniel Snyder. I'm positive. Uh, again, I, 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 I misread it. I probably messed up this prompt. I was trying to be clever. It clearly didn't work. At Gojo Show on Twitter, please yell at me. Um, no, let's let's talk Kyrie Irving because this one also had a late okay. development last night that I think is worth adding to this. So, again, the Nets announced that they were suspending Kyrie Irving. And if you look at the timeline of all of this, Brooklyn tried to go and smooth this situation out prior to that where they released the joint statement with Kyrie Irving condemning anti-Semitism, saying that they were going to donate each. Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets, $500,000 towards causes that would help in the fight against hate speech and you know discrimination. All the, the usual playbook that we see for handling these situations when you don't want to affect someone's ability to help you on the field or court. And so you had that go on with the Brooklyn Nets, where it's like, all right, you know what, we're going to go ahead and you're going to put some money towards a large idea of a cause and we're going to try and get back to basketball as we have just fired our head coach and are now circling around hiring Ime Udoka as the head coach. Then Kyrie Irving got in front of the media again and he was asked really at the point of all of this two questions. Do you have any anti-Semitic views and are you sorry? And because the answer for those questions could not be, no, I do not have any anti-Semitic views, and yes, I am sorry, and you can go and watch Kyrie Irving's interviews for yourself. It is another tour de force of inconsistent word salad that tries to put him in a position where he believes he is the smartest one in those conversations being had. And because Kyrie did that, the Nets were like, all right, well, we're going to suspend you for five games. When you start hearing Adam Silver saying he is disappointed that Kyrie Irving couldn't come out and just say, I do not have any anti-Semitic views and I'm sorry. And then the Nets, who tried to go to bat for him, they tried to do the thing. They tried to run the play that we see all the time in sports of, hey, we're going to throw money at this problem. You're going to apologize and we're going to try and go back to business as usual. And when he couldn't go along with that plan for them, they decided we're going to suspend him five days. And it was phrased basically as a minimum of five days, Brandon, that to me read like, these are five days to figure out if it's going to be all the days. Like, this is five days for us to get our ducks in a row and see if you're going to go back on any of this before we decide this is more trouble than it's worth for a team that has been bad right now. We can't have you continuing to undermine us when we have given you the easiest possible off-ramp for this. I just don't, I just don't think it would be all the games. I, I I struggle to see a world where Kyrie Irving will be suspended for the year for not saying oh, sorry. No, I'm not I'm not talking about suspended for the year. I'm talking about them releasing him. Like them. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, okay. Like that okay, was my thought okay. was: is it going to be five games so that because this is five games without pay? And they said it was, he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. Like, all of this is pretty damning for an organization that, again, try, like, 
he made them look really bad in public. I don't want to make it seem like anyone here is really taking a moral high ground because the Nets had a chance to come out here and really make a stand on this, and they tried to do again. They tried to run the normal playbook on this. And so it's not like a moral high ground thing. He made them look bad in front of company because they tried to go to bat for him, and then he went out and would not go along with that, would not go with the script that they had laid out before him, and so now they had to do something because they've been getting punked inside this organization all summer, right? You had the stuff going on with Kevin Durant like this is not an organization that has looked like it's been in control and we know sports organizations love nothing more than feeling like they're in control and with this one it's very easy to get on their side because when anti-semitism is involved especially given this current climate like man there's just no room for this right now we have real dangerous shit happening because of the words of people like Kanye West and the post and the refusal to go back and say I'm sorry of people like Kyrie Irving like credible threats to the FBI against New York synagogues type problems and type danger that these things have put people in and so you had all that go on and I, I legitimately thought the Nets might be in the range of saying we we have to release this guy like we cannot be associated with this based on what Kyrie has said in his... I mean, it, it was all pride, Brandon. It was stubborn pride in front that's, of those microphones. So, and then that's one thing that I have an issue with, Mike, is not only that it's pride, but it's pride disguised as heritage or pride as, as, as disguised as, like, speaking up for the voiceless. He's a bit of a martyr uh, in, in, yes. a, in a lot of ways. And I and I and that's why I, I have an issue with him, Mike, because I feel like he is hanging his hat more on the martyrdom of these causes than the actual victims that are coming along with him trying to stand ten toes down on this stance, Mike. Cause, and, and I think outside of him being suspended, Mike, I'm happy that he had he didn't apologize. I, I don't agree, obviously, with his stance, but I don't want to be lied to when it comes to these uh, instances and these moments because he hasn't gone through the proper education to come to the conclusion that he should say sorry, so he didn't at the time. He didn't, and that's a good point in all of this, Brandon, because since all that happened, Kyrie Irving then took to Instagram much later on, super late last night after Thursday Night Football, after the World Series, which again feels very news dumpish in its own way. Mm-hmm. So you could read in this to a lot in, to, into this a lot of ways, but I want to keep in mind what you just said there. Kyrie Irving had a chance to come out and do the right thing right away and say, "Hey, I posted this and was not clear on my intentions for why." I don't think there can be a lot of good intentions with that, but that was at least the chance that Kyrie Irving had because, again, the core of this and what's in that video sends a very negative message to a large group of people who have a bunch of people that are ready to hate them. Like There are clearly a bunch of people that are waiting for someone to come out here and publicly say the things that they could co-sign in the way that Kanye West has and now Kyrie Irving has been a part of. And when Kyrie Irving didn't do that it sends that signal out pretty loud to not come out and immediately stamp this out and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I am not anti-Semitic. I am very sorry for being associated with this, with the Alex Jones video. That is not who I am. I am about sticking up and doing right by my heritage and my people, and here are the ways that I want to communicate that better. That wasn't what happened. And so now now we get the apology portion of this. And Brandon, it's very interesting what you bring up. So Kyrie Irving took to his Instagram and posted this caption. I apologize, it's long reading, but I feel like this is important. 
Uh, Kyrie Irving came out and said, while doing research on Yahweh, I posted a documentary that contained some false anti-Semitic statements, narratives, and language that were untrue and offensive to the Jewish race and religion. And I take full accountability and responsibility for my actions. I am grateful to have a big platform and to share knowledge, and I want to move forward by having an open dialogue to learn more and grow from this. To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologize. I initially reacted out of emotion to being unjustly labeled anti-Semitic instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt from the hateful remarks made in the documentary. I want to clarify any confusion on where I stand against anti-Semitism by apologizing for posting the documentary without context and a factual explanation outlining the specific beliefs in the documentary I agreed and disagreed with. I had no intentions to disrespect any Jewish cultural history regarding the Holocaust or perpetuate any hate. I am learning from this unfortunate event and hope we can find understanding between us all. I am no different than any other human being. I am a seeker of truth and knowledge and I am who I am. And so we always do the grading apology things like he actually said, I'm sorry and I apologize. And it wasn't couched in a bunch of if you felt hurt, it was no to the people and the communities that are hurt and affected by my coach. So all of those things, but Brandon, to your point, late at night, after we already had the defiance very publicly in front of the microphones here. This, to me, was the first thing I had seen from Kyrie Irving that said he still wants to play basketball. Like, this looked like some the statement from someone who wanted to keep their job. <clears throat> and I, I don't know Kyrie Irving. I don't know if he's truly sorry at this point, Brandon, but I know what you pointed out. The damage is already done. And what this is about right. is bad actors and people who had fostered nonsensical ideas about their hatred in Jewish people being tied to the things that are holding them back or whatever the root of some anti-Semitism is that may be lurking below the surface. Bad actors and groups that were waiting for someone to publicly co-sign the things that they had been feeling privately already feel like they can use Kyrie as a totem for that and are going to look at this now and see this and say, well, he was forced to apologize by his boss. He's being held back. And now to your point is even more of a martyr to the people who believe he's being persecuted for not doing anything wrong. And so this might, and I would guess based on the way the Nets reacted, probably save Kyrie Irving his job by coming out and very clearly stating in this, yes, I am sorry. I have done damage. I am going to do better. But at the same time i don't think it absolves him from what's going on in this situation it might get him away from it and it might get him time but to your point there's already been a lot of damage done yeah i mean like the boston celtics former head coach like he's going to end up coaching somewhere eventually possibly with Kyrie. and the the reason why he's no longer with the boston celtics is still going to be fresh on everyone's mind but Kyrie seems to be used to playing with this drama and he's always at the center of it, Mike. And I, I, other stars get aged out. I feel like Kyrie Irving is is looking for doors out, uh, season in and season out. What you're what you're saying is what a lot of people had echoed is it does not seem like Kyrie Irving wants to play basketball. And that's the one thing that I'm saying is I had seen that chorus and I had thought like maybe this is a guy that really just wants to not be burdened by having to worry about what his bosses think about this, what the Nets think about this, what Adam Silver thinks about this, and really thinks he's at a point where he just wants to go out here and speaks whatever he believes his truth is, no matter how loud wrong it is and no matter how many times he's told that. This was the first instance, this apology, where I thought, oh, okay, this guy actually might still want to play basketball and make all this money. 
Like, that's the really the only thing I took out of that. Because at this point, like you said, he'd showed his hand. We'd seen the defiance firsthand. And it, right. you could say he was emotionally reacting to that, but that's still like, he had time in between. The questions he was asked today or yesterday about that weren't immediately after that exchange with Nick Friedel, weren't immediately after those comments made. He had a full day and, in theory, a conversation with the Nets that led to that original statement before he got in front of those microphones again. So you can't just go off of, hey, I was emotional. Now, you had a full day to digest this, even as chaotic as that day was. The statement and the apology just indicate to me, this guy still seems interested in playing basketball, apparently, and that's the first time in a while we can feel like we can say that. I, I, I agree with you, but I think Jamel Hill wrote a, a very a great article trying to illustrate where Kyrie Irving is coming from, from a black man's perspective and an identity perspective. And one of the reasons why I think Kyrie Irving has dug this hole for himself that we he is currently standing in and looking out of is he doesn't feel like he has a lot of power. He doesn't feel like he has a lot of autonomy. Uh, and when he does feel like he has power or where he does he feel like he feel like he has power is on social media and that is now getting policed too rightfully so when you have the platform that you do have so in that instance where he was able to say i'm sorry i i think he was hearing or he was feeling like he was being told how to think and not realizing that someone is telling you how to think because the way you're currently thinking is dangerous to a a a large group of people I want to just slightly rephrase some of that, right? Okay. I want to rephrase policing what he has said, and I think it's holding him accountable for what he said. Like, having a platform means you get to say things. It does not mean you get to say things and not have those things challenged. That's, in theory, Kyrie's whole worldview is, I'm going to challenge what I've been told. And so you can't turn around the other way, and when people challenge you, try and shut that out because you believe you're the one holder of the truth that exists. Right. And then the other part is, he wasn't being, I don't think, being told what to think. It's, hey, we're showing you this has hurt people. Like, we're showing you examples of these are people, as you try and say, I can't be anti-Semitic because I know who I am. And that was what Kyrie's default answer was when he was asked about this. I can't be anti-Semitic because I know who I am and I know my heritage. When people are showing you, no, this is doing real hurt. You're not being told what to think. You're being shown a perspective outside of your own. But because Kyrie Irving interpreted all of that, appeared to interpret all that as an attack, we got the response we did. Like you said, he, he was he was emotional because of the labelism that come or the labeling that was coming towards him. So, like when all of us, when we get emotional, we 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 defend ourselves. And I don't want to sound like I'm caping up from Kyrie, but from a human perspective, he well, is not like the rest of us. He is, but but when it, he is like the rest of us in the sense that when you're attacked, you you. Uh, your knee-jerk reaction is to defend yourself regardless of realizing just how wrong you might actually be. Well, and it's, Brandon, I think this is something, that, and people have brought this up, right, that what Kyrie Irving is a part of is a lot of what we have seen black players and black men and black people go through in this league and in life in general. Like, 
Kyrie Irving's reaction to that is the same that we see from a bunch of people who wrongly react when they're told, hey, you're doing something racist. And people hear racist and go, oh man, you're calling me a racist. I'm not right, a racist right. for X, Y, and Z reason and react yeah. really strongly. And it's like, I may not even have made that accusation. I'm just saying what you're doing and you're being told by people who've been affected by that, that is racist. The same way Kyrie Irving is being told this is anti-Semitic. And then right. responding because it's striking a nerve inside for whatever reason. And that's something that he's got to grapple with. So, I, yeah, I don't want to keep talking about this. I know yeah. we're going to move on to the other person. But uh, he he's the fact that the fact when he's standing on saying that he's speaking facts to everyone and boldface looking at people is like, I'm speaking facts. That's factual. Talking about occult stuff. That That's the, the irony of the whole thing. It's like, yeah, but. You see the 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 lack of facts that you're pushing out, and also the fact that the things that you're stating are facts are anti-Semitic. Like that's that's a fact. Yeah. So I, I just it's it's uh, again it's been a lot of word salad. It's been a lot of condescension, and it's been a lot of a desire to be the smartest guy in the room. That's now ended with a written apology on his social media coming off of the five-game suspension. Like, again, the chronological order of events matters yes, in this. Yes. That is in response to the five-game suspension that he has received that now we'll see. This seems like something that could very well keep him his job based on what we've seen as the response from the Nets. The other person that you just mentioned in that, Brandon, was the current owner of the Washington Commanders, Daniel Snyder. And we talked about yesterday, him and his wife, Tanya, had enlisted the help of Bank of America to potentially explore options around any transaction it was phrased very carefully to not outright say yes. we're going and selling the team but it was the first real indication we'd had of that and we went huh i guess jim ursay's comments at the owners meeting really mattered man we made jokes about taylor swift not putting fedex field on the tour all these things and then <laughs> according to espn the U.S. Attorney's Office is opening a criminal investigation into the alleged financial improprieties by the Washington Commanders. It's the same day a report came out that the Snyders have hired Bank of America Securities to explore a sale of the team. According to the ESPN article, it appears that the Commanders, quote, concealed shareable revenue from the league, a.k.a. the other owners. Wow. So, Brandon, um, on the same day he explored that... Concealed. It just so happens... To apparently come out that the U.S. Attorney's Office is opening a criminal investigation into him skimming off the other owners here, huh? And How about that coincidence? And, and you know when you know when you know when money crimes are really criminal when the people that are the victims are other billionaires. Yes, Ooh, shit, you know, messed up now. When the pe when the other people are the ones who have the chance to vote on your future. And remember, that was what Jim Irsay was talking about at those owners meetings where he said we need to do yeah. something about this. It's that idea that you need a majority vote. You need 24 of the owners to oust him and before when it is about like you said, we know how this league works. Before when it's about the way you have treated your employees, all of the allegations about your toxic workplace, all of these things that we've known about for a while now with Daniel Snyder, that wasn't to do it. But you get caught fucking with the cash. Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
So Daniel Snyder looks like he has been looking for the escape hatch of, why don't I just go become richer by selling this team to reportedly Jeff Bezos and a potential group involving Jay-Z? Apparently RG3 has $400 million and is trying to bring along 10 fans with him to be a part of it. I did not have that on the bingo card, by the way. I knew RG3 was breaded. Robert, let me hold something, please. Hey, if if it was the rookie of the year... If it was the Heisman Trophy run, if it was the rebranding to, to ESPN uh, color color guy, like listen, I've learned never to count out RG three or to paint him in a corner because he's going to surprise you with something. RG three, who was at one he wrote time a book, RG, he just he's wrote a book. RG three has gone from at one point in time wasn't he on a golf course throwing footballs at palm trees training at some point. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like a Jameis Winston training. But yes. Yeah, possibly. It, it does. <laughs> but either way, man. Yeah, you know what? Go off, King. RG3, who I've said, looks like he's having a fucking blast as a commentator for ESPN. He's doing it man. right. He, he's a ton of fun. So I have... Listen, I we could only hope that RG3 finds his way into ownership. That would be an awesome plot twist to this entire experience. But just a reminder... In the Matrix, there are very few coincidences. Those are just glitches reminding you you're in the Matrix. And in life, when someone like Daniel Snyder, who has been previously dug in, really both of these situations, people previously dug in on their position and refusing to yield space, all of the sudden, yielding space, usually there is a pretty compelling reason in the middle of that. Yes, Mike, but that's one thing we talked about yesterday. We, I, Like I, I said, I re, we talked about this off air. I really wish we would have taken some time to think about it because I was like, the last time we heard from Daniel Snyder, he said, if I go down, I'm taking y'all motherfuckers with me. <laughs> and then the next thing we heard, he's willing to sell? Like, we should have known, like, oh, he's like... Oh, he got the news he's about to go to jail. He he went from King Kong ain't got shit on me <laughs> to, well, you know, we're just going to get some things in order financially here and see if we can resolve this yes. matter peacefully. Misa, Misa. Okay. <laughs> uh, just uh, amazing how all these things work. So uh, I will not be surprised if this sale goes and starts to happen even faster now. And if the language starts to become even mm. clearer, we are aware of the invest. Like, I am anticipating a statement coming from the Snyders at some point. We are aware of the investigation being launched by the U.S. attorney. While in the meantime, we have no comment on that issue because it is currently an open investigation. My wife, Tanya, and I are continuing to explore. What did we say the last time? The sale of the Washington commanders. That's what we meant mm. to say. The full-blown sale of the Washington commanders is what we meant to say. So, uh, I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, that's enough off the field news for right now. Oof. 
We got a lot of on-the-field stuff getting ready to happen this weekend. And the NFL is going to be interesting this weekend because we have so many teams on their bye this week. Last I counted, we have six yeah. teams on bye this weekend. There's only two games in the 4 o'clock window. So get all get yourself prepared. Like Have other things going on. You're going to get to watch basically two games in their entirety between the NFL Red Zone channel with Scott Hansen in that 4 o'clock window. So enjoy that treat. But uh, Brandon in college football, we got the big dogs Talk this weekend. Him. We had the first round of college football playoff rankings, and it has given us now one versus three Tennessee and Georgia. It has given us Alabama ranked inside the top 10 against number 10 LSU, and it has given us fourth ranked Clemson going up against Notre Dame this weekend. Now, obviously, Notre <laughs> Dame not ranked, so that matchup for others doesn't carry nearly the, ca- nearly the cachet. But, uh, Brandon, that Tennessee Georgia game, I mean, it's as good on good as we've seen in quite some time, right? You have the top scoring offense in Tennessee going up against the second ranked scoring defense in Georgia, a school and an institution that won a national title last year, predicated on having one of the best defenses in recorded history, like an all-time generational defense, and this year they've come back and really matched the standard and exceeded it in some ways. Now, they're going to limp into this game a little bit. Nolan Smith, who's one of the best you know, pass rushers and linebackers on this team, lost for the rest of the season to a pec injury in the last game. He's a guy, first-round draft pick potential, all those things. And so I don't want to discount that, Brandon. It's so strange going into this. I really feel a belief in Tennessee. Like, Tennessee is a big-time dog in this game. Like, Georgia is a, over a touchdown favorite. Really? I didn't see the line. Yeah, Brandon, currently a seven and a half point favorite on DraftKings is Georgia over the number one team in football. It's a good reminder that Vegas sees the top 25 and the top 10 very differently than everyone else. We already mentioned on a neutral field, Michigan would probably be favored over Clemson, who is in the top four in front of them. So you've got all those things there. But Brandon, for this that game... Feels like, it just feels like an easy... It feels like an easy underdog pick, Mike. Like, Tennessee has proven, and I'm not even doing the Hendon Hooker versus Stetson Bennett thing, but I could. You you could, Brandon. I, I think it's more like Tennessee's a really complete team. Pass defense-wise, yeah, there's some things to worry about there. They've been bottoms in a lot of places. But I even look at that, what they were able to do against Will Levis last week, really hold him to very little production. One of his worst games as a starter at Kentucky – And also the fact that that's not the strength of Georgia. Like, you look at that Georgia offense, the strength is the tight end room. It's Brock Bowers. It's Darnell Washington. It's, you know, I mean, Lad McConkie is a guy that's legitimately one of the best receivers on your team. And it's no slight to Lad, but we've seen this year. That offense has been inconsistent enough at certain points and fallen asleep enough at the wheel that I worry if Georgia is going to be able to do what Alabama, who also has a really good defense, like one of the best defenses in the country in ways that I thought would net them positive results against a team that wants to run that spread no huddle as viciously as Tennessee runs it. And it, mm-hmm. I've said it before, Tennessee runs the most purified, distilled down version of this spread no huddle. You are going to see receivers the full length of the field. You are going to see this thing go turbo speed, like 13 seconds in between snaps, deadly efficient during this operation on offense. And they were able to go out there and get Alabama, like where Kirby Smart came from, and someone who defensively operates with a lot of the same principles, at least at the core of what him and Nick do. They were able to get that defense 
defense confused and communicating poorly on the back end enough to have breakdowns. They just happen to have the former, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and Bryce Young, who is able to help throw them into that game and make that thing a shootout. I worry if Georgia's going to be able to do that. I think Tennessee can win this game. I would probably pick Tennessee to win this game. There's something about the college football committee, Mike, where I, I hate taking their opinion as valid, but they know what they're talking about. At least from that top six, they know exactly what they're talking about. And in that, I'm, I'm referencing the fact that they put Tennessee over Georgia for a reason. Well, I mean, Tennessee owns the two most impressive wins of the season, two of the most impressive wins this season so far in beating Alabama and going on the road to Death Valley and beating the shit out of LSU. Like, that game was a thorough ass-whooping of the team that the committee just put top 10 with two losses. Like, the committee and people have a lot of respect for them, and it went like that. And so, I I get Georgia's a heavy favorite in this one. I get that they deserve it, and... I know that offense still has good parts. Like Brock, Brock Bauer is probably the best tight end in college football, and he's not draft eligible for another year. They've got weapons in that room. We talked with Richard Johnson from Split Zone Duel before this season and said they're going to pose a unique threat for that reason. I, I just this Tennessee weapon is so unique on offense, and Hendon Hooker has operated it to such perfection so far that. I really think you're going to be able need to be able to score. If there's anyone fast enough to run with them on defense, I'll say this. It's Georgia. Fast, lethal, and efficient. You saw that this past weekend. They are a terrifying force of nature, still on defense. Like Keely Ringo, all those guys, they still got dogs over there, even if so many of them were drafted. But I'll pick Tennessee. I'll pick Tennessee right now. I'll set I'll, I'll put my name on it. it. This isn't, you know, we're not picking the points. We'll do six thick picks later on, but I'll pick Tennessee. Okay. I'll pick Tennessee outright to win this one. Um and we'll be interesting to see because we talked about so many of the scenarios surrounding the college football playoff. A lot of the math starts to change now if all of a sudden number one loses because yeah. Georgia and the SEC East now goes into the driver's seat. They've got that win over Oregon and then would have a win over the number one team. Like They would instantly vault to number one, and now we've got a party. And now, depending on the quality of this game, we're going to have that nightmare conversation that so many people dread of. Well, what happens if you get an all-timer and Tennessee happens to lose? And so Tennessee's only loss would be to number one Georgia, and they can't make it to the SEC championship game. And then Alabama wins. Do you have three SEC teams in the college football playoff? So that doomsday scenario for the rest of college football starts if Tennessee gets upset by Georgia this weekend. Um, Brandon, we'd mentioned the Alabama LSU game. That one's going to be really interesting, but you and I went to Notre Dame. The Notre Dame Clemson game is DJ Uyangalale making his return to South Bend after that 2020 regular season loss. Ugh. Last time on Dragon Ball Z, for anyone who forgot, Trevor Lawrence was out injured for two games in 2020. Um, DJ, yeah. came, DJ came in, and I would say this that Notre Dame game is part of the reason why the weight of expectation, I think, had such a negative effect on DJ. Because he came into Notre Dame Stadium and he threw for, this is not hyperbole, the most passing yards by an opposing quarterback yeah. in Notre Dame history. Yeah. That is what DJ did against that Notre Dame team that ended up playing them again in the ACC championship and going to the college football playoff. Can I say something real quick, Mike? Uh-huh. You just made me realize that Trevor Lawrence may not have recovered from COVID. But continue. God damn it, Brandon. <laughs> Say him. 
He recovered. Two games. He, re- he recovered enough to whoop Notre Dame's ass in the ACC title game. I'll say that. But <laughs> uh, okay. we we know it's we sorry. know it's not the same situation for DJ going into this game. He was benched in their last yeah. game against Syracuse for Cabe Klubnick, the five-star freshman quarterback who came in and helped ignite that team to come and beat a Clemson or a beat a Syracuse team that had turned them over a bunch and really made a mess of that game. Syrac- or Clemson is three and a half point favorites on the road in South Bend at this game. Notre Dame is coming off a win against that same Syracuse team, and I think that's part of why they're getting a lot of respect from the numbers here, Brandon, is because people are doing wrongly the transitive property thing and saying, right. well, Notre Dame beat the shit out of Syracuse on the road. Clemson almost lost to Syracuse at home. They had to bench their quarterback. Like Clearly something sideways is here. I don't know if it's as close as that, Brandon. I'll say this. Notre Dame can absolutely win this game. I'm not picking them to win this game. They can absolutely win this game because we've seen Clemson's offense be inconsistent throughout this season. We've seen DJ be inconsistent, and they've given the ball away to a Notre Dame defense that we know, among other things, is going to cause havoc for you up front. And if there's an advantage right. to be had, it's Notre Dame's offensive line or defensive line against Clemson's offensive line. Because Clemson's offensive line's got good parts, but we know always struggles with top-end performance. That's been a position group that has never performed to the level that has uh, been set around the other positions in that offense, right? Running back, wide receiver, quarterback have always out pace that group in front of them and so Notre Dame's got a chance to make it ugly there they're totally dependent on what day they get from the quarterback that's the beginning and end of it because Notre Dame's offensive line is not going to have as much fun as they had against Syracuse where they ran all over them and Audrick Estime had a day this Clemson offensive line's got dudes Brian Brzee's one of the best like I said Brian Brzee reminds me of Chris Jones a lot in the middle of that defensive front. And you've got him, you've got Miles Murphy, you've got all these freaking beasts in the front of that Clemson defensive line that are going to make that, I think, much bigger challenge because Clemson's going to, I think, do what a smart team would do against Notre Dame right now, stack the box and say, I dare Drew Pine to throw it over and beat us. I dare Drew Pine to go over here and try and do that. And we've seen games this year where Drew's been capable and where their offense has been able to get some of these talented young guys open down the field, has been able to find Michael Mayer, who even being the focal point of the other defense, has still found a way to eat and sits atop basically every meaningful tight end record in Notre Dame history. And he's going to leave after his junior season. All of that still is, if you get an erratic game from uh, from Drew Pine and he turns the ball over, then this is going to be a really long day for Notre Dame. I think the exact same reason is why Clemson is nervous for DJ Uyungle. You don't think he can make a, a long day for, for Clemson just slinging the rock out there? Like, obviously, I think Notre Dame tends to struggle with new quarterbacks uh, in the mix, and, and obviously DJ Uyungle did what he did. <laughs> The last yeah. time well, we saw him and, on that on that field. To your point, we saw that in the Syracuse game, right? Syracuse's only sign yeah. of life was when Garrett Schrader was benched due to injury in the middle of that game, and you saw a backup quarterback go in. And Cape Klubnick is a lot better than the backup quarterback that they saw last week. Now, he's still a freshman, wasn't asked to put the ball in many sure. compromised places in the passing game, but offered them a lot in the zone read run game in that second half against Syracuse. Yeah, I, I, I think this is just... Um... It's hard for me to remove my heart from this game, Mike, because I, I don't know what it, I, I can't look at these matchups and think rationally when it comes to Notre Dame. Like when it's an opportunity for Notre Dame to take down a a top rated team that is hobbled in the sense of like their strength of how strong they're standing at the top. 
I feel like that that ball bounces in Notre Dame's way. Like as embarrassing as that loss is in Marshall, Mike, and I know this isn't like like strictly college football numbers analysts, but I feel like we need and we are going to expect a, a balancing out on that field. Like a Marshall loss compared to that a Clemson win is going to give everyone feeling a little bit better about everything going on with Marcus Freeman right now. So I'll say this, Brandon, to that point. A lot got made, and I heard it during the last Notre Dame broadcast against Syracuse of Notre Dame's record home versus road this year. Mm -hmm. So much of that is a product of who they're playing, right? Notre Dame's got wins on the road against a North Carolina team that's ranked right now, a Syracuse team that's still ranked right now, and a BYU team that was ranked. You know, technically wasn't a road game. I think Notre Dame was the home team for that game, but it was off-site. Those were all against good-ranked teams, and they knew what the level of intensity needed to be. Notre Dame's young in key areas, and that includes head coach this year, which means the letdown games like we hadn't seen for so long at the end of the Brian Kelly tenure were something that we Mm -hmm. had to entertain more. You're on a backup quarterback who is young in a sense that he had not played a lot of football games. Young head coach, all those things in key areas. And so sloughing off against a team like Marshall, paying attention to the helmet sticker and saying Stanford's bad on tape, so we're going to be able to walk all over them, that's stuff we've been a part of naturally happens you're dialed in they're gonna be dialed in for this game against clemson like i don't worry about that the level intensity any of that shit like home and road splits are a misnomer it's about who you're playing and i think especially Mm -hmm. for this year's notre dame team i expect incredible effort it's just are we going to get incredible consistency from notre dame's quarterback who lacks the talent that dju and kate klubnik had that's just a fact there's no disrespect i have a lot i really appreciate drew pine for like again like I, I see like a guy who grew up loving Notre Dame who wanted to come here who's wanted to do right and help this school cares a lot about it I love and respect that but talent wise he's just not those guys and so I look at this game and say yeah Notre Dame can absolutely do that my thought process has been reverse psychology for most of these years and I also think a lot of this for a lot of the season but honestly a lot of this too is about respect for Dabo Swinney like for all of yeah, listen, okay, I've been okay. I've been very critical of a lot of the things that Dabo has said and done over the years. I'll be the first to raise my hand on that. The last two seasons, he says some stupid stuff. The last two seasons have been the biggest feather in Dabo's cap as far as like we hear culture all the time. Last season, for them to have what was the worst season for Clemson in the college football playoff era and win ten games and go to a New Year's Six, that was some culture shit. That was hey hmm. this year. Two new coordinators there. You lost both. You lost Brent Venables, who had been right there in lockstep with him the entire time. Replaced him. Brandon Streeter takes over for Tony Elliott on offense. And you've still got a team that's finding ways to win this game. That's, that's to me, the head coach. Like, that's that's what the head coach has set up here. Dabo's won and been a part of a lot of those games. And so situationally, I do have to give Dabo the respect in that area because he has earned it over and over again. And even now, Mike, that he hasn't really done a lot in the transfer portal pool, and yeah. they're not losing a bunch of players as well. There's got to be something. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something there. Yeah, I mean, they, listen, they did lose guys to the portal, and they did. They he said like we're like we're at our core a program that believes in development, right? Like they have always right. said, even again, I've disagreed with like your program supernova when the five stars started coming in, when Deshaun Watson and Christian Wilkins and Watkins yeah. and all those guys came in. Like all of that was the case, but they do, and they have developed a lot of guys into great players, and that stuff all matters the way they do it. Whether that'll work long term or not, different discussion for a different day. Whether it's worked right now, still, and allowed them to weather these tough situations, I do think that's a factor that deserves some credence in all this. And so, 
again, I am going to keep going. I stopped betting Notre Dame early in the season, and I have operated back on reverse psychology, and it has yielded some positive results. And so I'm going to say I think Clemson wins this game. Knowing full well, you know that's not how I want to feel in my heart. So, uh, How could you do that, Mike? How uh, could you say that with your words? Again, reverse psychology, hell of a drug. But uh, going to be an exciting one, night game in South Bend. Like it, it, that, that thing's going to be rocking. Sold out game, all that good shit. I, I cannot wait to thankfully be calling a game at the same time as that so I don't have to stress watch and break <laughs> anything. Um, by oh, the way, dude. check out Learfield College Football Saturday night on the road, Raleigh, North Carolina, as the – uh, NC State Wolfpack takes on Wake Forest coming off a loss from this past weekend. Big bad Sam Hartman turnover game. MJ Morris taking over at quarterback for NC State since Devin Leary was hurt in the Florida State game. Took over for Jack Chambers now. He's the man. Going to be a very exciting game, so check that out. But um, If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend because Mike is very, very intense when he's calling these games. He's locked in. He's not. He's not as. He has a lot more stress on his face than he does for all the people watching on YouTube. We thank you for for doing that. But it, it's it's nice to see. It's just like it's almost like your head is in like a coffin and you're like so locked in, and then the play is over and you just start you start you know doing your thing. God gifted. Calling games is wild shit, man. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> the last time I was at NC State too was the game where the lights didn't work right away in the stadium and they had to delay the start of the Ooh. game because the lights wouldn't turn on. So I am confident that uh, Boo Corrigan, who is the chairperson of the college football playoff committee, has that situation yes. buttoned up and we're going to have plenty of lights there uh, in uh, at NC State. Brandon, for the NFL this weekend, we mentioned ton of teams on by this weekend, very sparse late window. I think this weekend is the biggest old man get right weekend that we've got. Okay. So, okay. So much of this season has been about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and what their teams haven't been able to do. And last week we saw the littlest sign of life from uh from Aaron Rodgers and company in Green Bay in that game where Buffalo failed to cover and thus drew my ire. And so yeah, I was say you you say we saw a little bit of light, but yes, I, I I'm saying that because they managed to mess up my cash, which shows me that they yeah. was enough in there. But you had a big Aaron Jones rushing day. Their receivers started miraculously catching shit down the back half of that game, and then for Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, Tom's talking openly about, hey, this is hard. Like he actually like him and Giselle very publicly filed for divorce. Now that thing's real. We've heard statements from both of them, and he said it, it's hard to balance it all right now. Right, you've got two really good get right opportunities for these teams. So Green Bay is taking on the Detroit Lions, who are one and six, who have lost five straight, and just give up everything on defense. And then you've got Tampa Bay going up against the Los Angeles Rams, who Matthew Stafford's been back to Detroit. Matthew Stafford turning the ball over more than he's thrown it in the mm-hmm. end zone, and where that offensive line cannot protect him right now. Like Brandon, this feels like a last gasp sort of stop. Where if one of these two is going to try and show a heartbeat or try and do an Undertaker gif, this is going to be the weekend. But who between those two is more likely, honestly? Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay's going up against the far more inferior opponent, right? Like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, as much as that defense has taken a step back from the year prior, they still live there and at any point could go off. Leonard Floyd got his first two sacks of the season last week. There are things that you still have to account for there. And you've also got Cooper Cup on the other side. Like that's still been a potent weapon in that offense. But if you're asking me who I think has the better opportunity, it's Green Bay. Like, the Lions are giving up, or the Lions... But didn't... The Green Bay's always, like, 
plays with their food when it comes to the Lions. Don't they? Like it's all it, it seems to be always a little bit more competitive than it should be, especially when uh Aaron Rodgers has to play at Detroit, which is the case for this game. <sighs> I'll say this, Brandon, just based on what the Lions have been giving up, especially on the ground so far this season, going up against the Green Bay. Like, Green Bay, you saw in the last game, we figured so much of this season would be tied to their identity in the backfield. And for the early portion of the season, it's been passes behind the line of scrimmage. This Green Bay offense has been so low and slow in the passing game. It's been really hard to watch. It's quite honestly been really boring to watch. And in that last game, they just decided, man, we're going to hand the ball off to Aaron Jones and let good things happen. And it did against a markedly better defense in Buffalo's. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're right. I was giving you crap about it. But the the Packers, I mean, it's one of those teams that I don't want to sound like a broken record, but they do look better than their record suggests. But I think it's because it's Aaron Rodgers who's coming off of a back-to-back MVP year that you would – I mean, it's the Packers as well. Like, you just expect them to to do – to not to be losing the way they have been and have more of a productive offense. But but one thing that you've been saying so much at the beginning of the season, Mike, and it's starting to be true halfway through the season – Injuries are just the main thing that's holding back these Packers. They they are, absolutely. And we've seen David Bakhtiari make a big difference. They've moved Zach Tom a little bit around on that left side of that offensive line. They're without Elton Jenkins. Like All those things matter. But again, you started to see that click a little bit for them up front in that second game. And the Lions yeah. are allowing over 150 rushing yards per game, third worst in the NFL right now. They've allowed 1.9 rush touchdowns per game. That's the most in the NFL. That defense has been a get-right game for everyone everybody and for the Packers you started to lean into that portion of your offense in the last game you've got a defense that even when they know it's coming has been willing to give in that front this seems like the spot where the Packers if they're going to get right at all I will say between the two I think they have the best chance yes okay I I'm going to go the other side of that not just for podcast content fodder's sake but just because I just believe the LA Rams, like I said, will might end up being. Well, I said this about the Chargers; they might might end up being one of the worst teams in football at the end of the season. But the Rams, they're still in their Super Bowl. They're still a Super Bowl hangover. And if and if Tom Brady can get it right against anyone, it's probably it's probably Jalen Ram, Jalen Ramsey and them. I mean, Tom Brady still has his for all of the things that have been wrong with that Buccaneers offense. They haven't shot yes. themselves in the foot. Like Tom Brady has turned the ball over once through the air on offense. And the Buccaneers, and he has plenty of yards. The Buccaneers defense too. We talked about them being one of the best defenses in the NFL at the beginning of the season, and that kind of got lost in the losing. They are allowing fewer points per game than last year, fewer total yards than last year. So they have Damn. gotten better. They're also averaging more sacks per game so far this season, and that's the one that sticks wow. out to me. They were averaging 2.8 sacks a game in 2021. They're averaging over three so far this season, and they're going up against the most decimated offensive line by injury in football. Wow. So this last game... To see them getting bullied uh, was, uh, I guess, was was skewed what I know to be true because it seems like Todd Bowles, as a defensive coordinator turned head coach, the team has gotten better on defense. Well, they've improved. Which is what you want. They've improved statistically on defense, right? We've seen players like Devin White have struggled mightily in that game. There were yes. certainly portions of that Against defense. The Ravens. 
that you can exploit. It's just going to be a matter of... And listen, Sean McVay is as capable an offensive mind. Him and Liam Cohen are as capable of, the off- of offensive minds in football as we've seen. And both of these teams still have a lot to play for, right? Both of them are within two games of first place in their division. The NFC South's been terrible, and the NFC West right now has been dominated by San Francisco and the Seattle Seahawks, and they're still only two games out of first place. So they've got a lot to play for on both these sides. It just kind of goes back to the Super Bowl theory from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs is eventually if you can't protect anybody and you've got a quarterback that takes chances and puts the ball in harm's way, that's going to hurt you enough to lose you football games. And Tampa Bay is good in just the right spots to go ahead and make that really a problem for them. So those are, uh, again, high stakes for two quarterbacks who were, were writing their obituaries right now. Both have a chance to come off life support this weekend. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Um, Brandon? You and I have a chance to come off life support after last week because the picks were not cute around here. Not cute at all. Um, six thick picks, which is six picks, three college, three pro every weekend that I give you, were abysmal last week. We went one and five. It was ugly. And so we're going to try hard to get off the schneid this week. Um, in the NFL, Brandon, I went Minnesota minus three versus Washington. I've got the Vikings inside my top five for another week. All they do is continue to win. And Washington, while we're all drunk off Taylor Heineke and his ability to come back from anything, and him probably already lining up and thinking about what a pair of purple Jordans would look like added to his collection. (laughs) This Minnesota team, I am also very excited to see TJ Hawkinson in this offense. We talked about one of the things with the Lions going up against the Packers is everyone's like, oh, well, DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown are healthy. They've been the fourth best offense in points per game behind the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Eagles with those guys missing a bunch of time. You're not going to get a ton better on that side of the ball in a way that I think is going to meaningfully affect shit. It's going to be about the fact that your defense has nothing that's like, there's no cavalry coming for them. Not not to mention that because the guy that was closing that gap was TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, he was, he was the guy that, well, you're right, when he was filling in, when all those guys were gone, TJ Hawkinson had his biggest and best game. And so now that guy plays for a Vikings team that we know with Kevin O'Connell wants to make use of the tight end. Irv Smith a little banged up. And so uh, I got Minnesota minus three against Washington. Seattle plus two against Arizona. Seattle still not getting respect, especially in this outing. Um, I know part of uh, something, DK Metcalf Cardinals. was... Um, 
questionable during the week. It looks like he's going to be able to go in this game. That seems to be cleared, and I think that will certainly have a big tilt in their favor. We know DeAndre Hopkins has helped out. I don't know if it's double XP weekend for Call of Duty or not, but all of these things, uh, Seattle plus two Good against close. Arizona. And then dipping back into player props for the first time in a while, Brandon, uh, we talked about Green Ooh. Bay going up against um, the Detroit Lions. Aaron Jones over 65 and a half rushing yards. He's gone off against this team before. He went off last week. I think the Packers obviously know they're going to have to alleviate some of that. But against the Lions defense that just personnel-wise is not built to stop the fight, I like that number. So, uh, I'm going to kind of tell you where you go wrong with that. The, this, is the, this is what's going to happen. Aaron Jones has proven himself to be quite the receiver. He's going to have like... Hundred something plus yards and sixty four and a half yards rushing. Oh, uh, go run and tell them again. We're still in fade Mike territory, so operate all of this at your own risk. <laughs> on the season twenty thirty two and two in the six thick picks, so we're trying to close the gap Matt. this week. Um, yeah, Brandon, and then college football. Um, Ohio State's playing Northwestern. That over under number set at fifty five and a half. Give me the over on that, man. Iowa hit the fucking over in a game against Northwestern last week. You've got an Ohio State team that I think is going to be a little pissed off at their effort against Penn State and going to take it out on a team in Northwestern that likes to go fast, which means you can be giving the ball back to Ohio State's offense very, very fast. So very uh, quickly, Ohio State, Northwestern, over 55 and a half. Okay. Uh, Quick aside, how does Pat Fitzgerald still have his job? Um, because he's a Northwestern man and because Pat Fitzgerald just has to re-up every couple of seasons and have that be in the right spot because he is of Northwestern. He has given Northwestern their best days as a football coach. And what I I understand they've got a bright, shiny new facility there. What reason does Northwestern have to feel like they are going to ever be a true like big-time contender by going out and luring okay, someone else? Like Pat Fitzgerald has done a lot for that program there even if it feels like at times, you know, we get towards this. So, um, okay, I like that. Okay. And then Florida State minus seven and a half against Miami. Miami's a bad football team this year, plain and simple. Like they've been making changes at quarterback lately. That's ugly. Florida yeah. State has fallen short in a couple of their big time ACC matchups. I know this is a rivalry game. This ain't one I'm worried about. Finish it off. Uh, Oregon State plus four and a half this weekend. Um, Salty team going up against a Washington team. The weather is supposed to be right terrible uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So I'll go Oregon State plus the points in that game. Brandon Newman, who is the author of Brandon Newman's Spooky October Underdog Play of the Week, has left October, has left all the spooky behavior in the past here and turned over to the rest of fall. Brandon, you've got your pick of the week. What is this segment heretofore going to be known as? Mike, we're going to keep the picks going. We're going to keep my guarantees coming. No rut November. (laughs) Brandon's no rut November pick of the week. Fellas, ladies, stay strong. Uh, Okay, so obviously the underdog lock of Spooky October, I was picking all underdogs. It's hard for me to change that mindset. But for the no rut, we're just picking locks, baby. Why did I say it like that? We're just picking locks, baby. Uh, like uh, Austin Powers. Mike, are you ready for this? I am ready for this. Uh, the lock of the week is the Seahawks plus two 
against the Arizona Cardinals. There we go. Signed, sealed, and delivered, Brandon. Um, DK Again, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, full participants the other day in practice. Seems like that's trending in the right direction. Geno Smith, I, I, listen, I'm convinced. I'm with you, Brandon. So you and I are both riding with the Seahawks this weekend. Lock those in. Got to. Hashtag fade Mike. But um, those are six thick picks. Those are no rut November. Brandon. Wait a minute, Mike. What? I can't pick a t- I can't pick the t- the game you picked. Yes, you can. We can ride with this together, Brandon. Okay. This one this one week will allow you to ride this together. We want to start off this month strong. Again, ladies, fellas, go strong into this month right now. We all believe in you. Brandon, with those picks in mind, there's only one question left to ask. Oh shit. Oh shit is right, Brandon. Do you know what time it is? Yes. It's time for me to switch. It's uh, Dolphins uh, minus four over Chicago Bears. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Sold. Okay. <clears throat> you used to, you used to. You used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love Call me on my cell phone Late night when you need my love And I know this, that, and the third That can only mean one thing I know this, that, and the third That can only mean one thing Ever since I left the city, you, you, you Download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo. As always, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Tell Brandon what you think of the job that he's done on this, that, and third. We'll get to why that is especially relevant here inside the body of this segment. As we give you three quick stories to finish off the week on, Brandon, we referenced it earlier in the podcast. The Houston Astros take a 3-2 series lead in the World Series over the Philadelphia Phillies last night. Um... Justin Verlander ends up stepping up big for the Astros. I want to go back, though, Brandon, to game four of the World Series. Um, The Philadelphia Phillies threw a combined no-hitter in that game. Um, Brandon, it's always interesting and kind of controversial. So we had in this game, Christian Javier went up on the mound. He was the you know starting pitcher that ends up as the forefront of this. They end up finishing it out with a bunch of relievers. A lot of people always get pissed off, especially fans of old baseball where pitching was something cool that you would break up someone who's in the middle of a no-hitter in favor of that. I understand that in the regular season. Like, I get as mad mm-hmm. as anybody in the regular season when we lose out on some of those moments. And I get that so many people then point to still the postseason and say, well... Listen, we're trying to make sure everyone's fresh then. You want to keep them healthy. We know more about how the effect on these guys' bodies. In the postseason, I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. I don't give a damn about the fact that he was one of two pitchers to go through and not be hit during a World Series game. The other being Don Larson, who threw a perfect game in 1956. I care about winning, and I care about rings. And if the Houston Astros thought that was the best decision to get them the winning and get them the rings, I don't give an ever-loving shit. Yeah, we give a... Maybe this is me showing my ass as not a baseball guy, but who the hell cares about narratives in games? Right? Like for the World Series or like for the series? Like do you like unless it's the unless it's the narrative that wins the game? I mean and obviously, well, I guess the five home runs was a thing. 
well, I, it's one of those things. There Brandon, are some the Bryce Bryce Harper moments that feel like they're narratives for those specific games. Histor- so maybe I'm reneging. Historical numbers around baseball have a bigger importance than almost any other sport, right? There are very few where moments like that, especially with pitching and big moments, carry as much weight historically in the sport because of how much those numbers matter. That's not the number I'm really focused on, though, in that game, Brandon. Because while we had that combined no hitter on the Astros, win five nothing in that game. We had something else at play. Blame Wawa was trending on Twitter. Man. I need to know where we fall on this, Brandon, as a big boy podcast. So for anyone that's unaware outside of the Philadelphia area, every year since 2008, they've hosted a promotion Wawa has called Hoagie Fest. They have sandwiches offered at discounted rates, and they all benefit world hunger. And... It's been a big hit. And so in June, when that came up, Kyle Schwarber had a big month, hit 12 home runs, 27 RBI, all that stuff. And so they decided to rebrand it and call it Schwarber Fest. They brought that back for the postseason. So October 18th, Schwarber Fest started again. And you had Wawa come and tweet out, take a bite of your, take a bite of your hoagie for every hit the Phillies get, hashtag Schwarber Fest. Terrible. Needless to say, that didn't go out. So, Brandon, do you hold them accountable for this? <sighs> Mike, I I don't. I don't want to because I love Wawa so much. But, you know, just like when you're growing up, when your parents make a mistake, you got to call them out for it. Accountability is a real thing, even for adults, even for things that we love and people we love and industries that we love and places that we love that make great breakfast sandwiches. Yes, I, I, I originally when we talked about this before the show, I said Wawa is not at fault. Wawa is at fault. As much as the announcers are at fault for saying this person is oh. having a great game and then they get mossed on, like all so those things. This is like, like this is like to you the reverse of how they say during like a no hitter or a perfect game to not talk to the pitcher about it. You're saying because they talked about this publicly, they put the voodoo yes. on their team. Put the voodoo on the team on the game, Mike. On the game, you got to be you got to be careful with your words, and I think they put a voodoo curse on the entire game. Everyone was watching with a hoagie, a hot hoagie from Wawa in their hand, and they could never take a bite. It got cold. It did get cold. A bunch of cold, dried out hoagies. I think that's the biggest crime of all of it is that these sandwiches, in theory, went unloved because we know how superstitious True. sports fans are, and I can't have that yeah. kind of waste. This is supposed to be a cause that goes to benefit, and we don't need it taking away. Um, I will say that's, this. That's some it's Philly an, on Philly hate, too, well, no, unfortunately. And it's an interesting message because Philly had flipped the script on that during this postseason. I forget if it was in the Phillies game in the postseason or if it was in an Eagles game, but Santa Claus came on. No, it was in the Phillies game because I saw Jeff Passon tweet about this from ESPN that Santa showed up on the Jumbotron and got cheered. And remember, that was Philly's gripe for so long was that even Santa Claus yes. got booed and got harassed inside their stadium. So that was a big yes. growth moment for Philadelphia. And I feel like this Wawa jab was done out of love and frustration. And so I'm not going to put that on Philly. I'm going to say they still very much love love Wawa but like you said it's when you're inside the family you got to have uncomfortable conversations and so that was just an uncomfortable conversation with a sandwich Brandon I want to have a different yeah I was going to Devontae Smith mentioned he loves Wawa sandwiches is one of the main things he eats uh Heisman Trophy winner uh for the 
Philadelphia Eagles, he feels connected in this in some way, shape, or form as well, but continue to move on. I apologize. Brandon, I want to get to uh, something here that was the reason you chose the This, That, and the Third song that you did. Um, Drake and 21 Savage unveiled their new album, Her Loss, and as we were getting ready to talk about this in the pre-show meeting, I had the moment of realization that I'm excited to listen to this. I haven't gotten to listen to it yet. I'm very excited to listen to this. But your exuberance for this album and the way you were talking about it and the way I reacted, I now realize how you felt listening to me drone on and on about the Taylor Swift Midnight's release. Like, it's not that you were upset. You just didn't understand and feel the same way I did. I mean, I, I Mike, it, this is an album. For one, Drake with friends is always really good. And I, I don't know, it may be the antithesis of Taylor and what she does when she gets in her bag, but Drake really only gets in his bag when he is with others that are currently live in their own bags. And 21 Savage is that person. Like, Drake is being forced to rap. Now, what I thought there was no promo for this album, Mike, this joint album between 21 Savage, London's Finest, and Drake Savage, Top Boy, uh, Toronto's Finest, I, I this international uh, rap album that's coming out, I realized that in Drake's surprise album, honestly, never mind, Jimmy Cooks, one of the only just straight rap songs on that album, was promo for this that was 21 savage drake and project pata and it, it was uh apparently no i'm thinking about knife talk actually that was project Pata with knife talk but this was promo for this album mike and now we're getting it drake in 21 and drake has to rap and drake's great at rapping like this is going to be great for all of us mike there are 15 tracks on this album three of which are only drake uh cuts so maybe he is going to get in his uh singing bag milano bag with this mic but some of these album track songs are just amazing you went to your track list with taylor swift you're going to sit through this for me uh starting off this 21 uh drake album called her loss with the album cover art of lord knows what uh god bless her whoever she is in her grill um rich flex followed by Major Distribution, followed by On BS, then Back Outside Boys, that one's only Drake, then number five coming in back with 21, Privileged Rappers, number six, Spin Bout You, seven, Hours in Silence, eight, Treacherous Twins, nine, look, this got got confusing because I... Circo Loco. I thought they stuck in a Spanish word. I had to slow it down. Uh, number 10, P Word in Millions featuring Travis Scott. 11, Broke Boys. No, no, no. Um, 12, Middle of the Ocean. That's back with Just Drake. Followed up by another Just Drake song, which sounds really crazy. Jumbotron Shit Poppin'. Number 13, More M's. Joint track between 21 Savage and Drake. And then 21 Savage has his own album or has his own track. 3 a.m. on Glenwood. I lied. There's 16 tracks. Then I guess it's F me finishing up the album with only Drake. You can probably guarantee that that is going to be a singing song. Whew, Mike, her loss. Is that not how you feel about everything? Every girl that's ever left you, every everyone that's ever uh, thought about you and, and, and wrote you off too early on in your own journey? Like, her loss. It doesn't even have to be a her. It's It's their loss. It's them. 
Yeah, I mean, no, I wish I kind of had that blind allegiance to myself. I generally tend to be a little more like, all right, well, there, maybe there was something I was doing wrong that I need to examine here and you know, go to therapy about. But, you know, that's that's cool, too, to approach it that way, and sometimes that can be productive. Like, Brandon, I have no doubt that this is going to be good. I just do laugh that Drake's response to how poorly his last album was received was, oh, I need to go get someone that everybody likes. And, oh, wait, everyone liked the one guy Mike. that was on that track that I rapped on in the last album, and you guys really Mike. didn't like me doing dance music worse than Beyonce did. Like, I should say, Beyonce Mike. did dance music well. Drake did it comparatively a lot less well. And so now he's diverting Mike. back to this and using 21 Savage to be like, hey, like, you guys are going to like this because look who I brought with. No, Mike, this is what he does. Uh, this is... This is someone he's been collaborating with for a very, very long time, Michael. Michael, this is this isn't just like him picking up the hot Brandon, boy. You know what it is? This isn't. I'm 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 yeah. just ticked off that he faked a Tiny Desk concert as a promotion for this. Okay, okay, I, I I missed that. I didn't talk about that. Now to drudge up attention for this, they did a fake Tiny Desk concert, which was amazing. As Mike just uh, it wasn't amazing because I was like, it wasn't amazing. They faked it was it. amazing. How do they fake it? Mike, of course it was fake. There's never been a Tiny Desk concert for for new music. You should everyone should have known that it was going to be fake. That's why I was like, wait a minute, well, how are they doing a Tiny I Desk? I thought they of would have done a Tiny music? Desk concert of their old songs to promote for their new songs. Here, I look forward to Mike, Tiny Desk concerts so much, Brandon. It's one of the purest sources silly, of joy in my life. You silly boy. I know. I feel you. I hear that. And then they also faked a Howard Stern interview, which was so very silly. And then also faked a Vogue, uh, a Vogue cover shoot, which is just, you know, that's 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 where you can get mad at Drake because it all worked. It all worked. And they just sit back and waited and they just told people, hey, it's coming out now. It's coming out then. And uh, I can't wait to listen, Mike. I can't wait to listen. Early on, I want to try to tell you what. No, it's it's too early. No one's even start. I don't even know what the hot tracks are. There's no stars on Apple Music yet. It's fine. You know what, Brandon? We'll give it time. We'll let it marinate, and we'll see if it can erase the sting of what that last album was. Uh, That's fair, Brandon. Let's finish things. This thing off with a third. This one's very simple. Before I left ESPN, I was a part of a big international incident at the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um, I got. The U.S., the ire of Australia as a country. Um, I drew the ire of an R&B legend. And I made a lot of people question my sanity by dunking Oreos and mayonnaise. Uh, that was a game where the winner of the game was doused in mayonnaise. Shane Beamer, the head coach of South Carolina, after their win against North Carolina, got a whole Gatorade cooler full of mayonnaise dumped on him. Thus, continuing the tradition of bowl games dumping their bowl's namesake onto different coaches. We'd seen that at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl, yes. among others. Uh, the Duke's Mayo Bowl made an announcement yesterday that they have decided to make a change in the Mayo dumping personnel. It was a difficult decision, and we appreciate their hard work, but we felt last year's Mayo dumping did not meet the standards of the Duke's Mayo Bowl. We have started a national wow. search for our 2020 Mayo dumpers. Now, Brandon... Shane Beamer like took the bucket off the head. It was really, they had a lot of time working on the viscosity of the mayonnaise before that. It was really heavy. And so the dumpers actually clipped Shane Beamer a little bit. And so Ooh. I think I can understand the reason behind that. All I want to say is, Brandon, while I won't be calling that game this year, I want to throw our hat in the ring for this. I think you and I are uniquely yes. qualified for this because of our strength to go out here and be fantastic mayo dumpers. Strength, agility, uh, angles right that which is important while chasing the coach for for dumping purposes and also just like 
uh, angle. Yeah, well, I would say angles when it comes to dumping the the cooler as well. You have to be strong enough to hold that very heavy mayo. Yeah, yep. I, I I agree. I agree, Mike. And also, we're probably like perfect because we could play good cop, bad cop. If it was ever, if it was like, like if somebody needed to diversion or somebody actually, if I actually needed to go rough up and grab the coach and like keep them still while you dump the mayo. I just feel like, you know, we, we're a good team in that way. We are a good team in that way. So, again, the Dukes Mayo folks know where to find me. They know where to find us. They're, you know, friends of the program because I'm a friend of their program. And so we just want the chance. We want the opportunity to go and show you guys what we can do as both Mayo ambassadors and also Mayo dumpers. So, at Gojo Show yeah. on Twitter is where you can find us. At Dukes Mayo Bowl on Twitter is where you can help us campaign to be the Mayo dumpers in the 2022 Dukes Mayo Bowl. We hope that you're not being held against your will to listen to the end of this podcast here covered in mayonnaise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. I'm serious. We need some reviews that help stuff. It helps people know what we're about around here and helps them know that you're liking what we got. Also, make sure you check out the DraftKings YouTube channel. We got all the interviews up from this week, including the Princeton Fant from yesterday, part of the number one ranked Tennessee Vols that are getting ready to play that game against Georgia. Go to the DraftKings YouTube channel, subscribe, and check out the Gojo of Mike Bullock Jr. playlist. Have a great weekend. Thank you, guys. We love you. We'll talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.